We thank and praise you that you are with us, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so help us not to forget that as we live, as we read these words, these are living words. And your presence is with us. May it speak your truth to us that we might be more aware of your mercy and your kindness that leads us to repentance when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was just a few months before Alyssa and I got married, a number of years ago now, I was in the worst car accident of my life. It was a a foggy Sunday morning. I had taken the day off from the church that I was serving. I was on my way to a different church to go and worship. And I almost remember every single detail of that morning. I remember getting up. I remember getting ready. I remember everything leading up to the moment when my little two-door Honda Civic collided at about 40 miles an hour in a foggy intersection with an SUV where neither one of us saw what was coming. I'll show you just one picture. That was my car after the accident. I still don't like to look at it because I don't remember the actual impact. I remember everything leading up to it. I remember all of that, and then I remember immediately after. I remember when the car stopped, just kind of being in this, this kind of state of shock, and, and there, was, there was steam coming out of the front end of my car, and, and I remember instinctively the first thing I did was I, I felt my extremities because I realized I was in an accident, and I wondered if I was okay, and, and by the grace of God, I, I was. I mean, I had a mild concussion and a bloody nose from the airbag. By the way, if you've never experienced an airbag, they're not soft like a pillow. Um, I experienced that firsthand, but I was so grateful that I was okay, and so was the person in the other vehicle. And I just sat there for a minute because it was just like, what happened? And then after a while, you'll see in the picture there that, that, that my, my door was smashed in, and so I, I couldn't get out. I had to climb out the other side. And other than police officers and the tow truck that showed up and my dad, who eventually came to pick me up, there was only two people that saw uh, that there was an accident when they drove by and decided to stop. And these two people could not have been more different from each other. Uh, The first one was this guy, he pulled over, and apparently someone gave him the sole responsibility of figuring out whose fault this was. And so he got out of his car, and he walks up, and he starts asking all of these questions, all of these objective questions, and my head is still spinning, and and, and, and as he's asking all of this stuff, eventually, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, sir, would you please just leave? (laughs) And thankfully, he did, and he was on his way. 
And then I felt worse because then his questions started to eat at me, right? Like, what did I do wrong? Where did this happen? How did we get here? What could I have done differently? And it was in the middle of all of that that the second car pulled up. And this woman pulled, uh, came out of the car, and she walked up to me. She could not have been any different, more different from the first one. She only asked me three questions. The first one she asked was, are you okay? It looks like you're bleeding. And I could tell just by the way she asked the question, she actually cared. Like, she just cared about how I was feeling. And, and, and at that point, I was going from shock to anxiety. And so I wasn't really paying much attention. I was digging through my car. And it was at that point she asked the second question. She said, you look like you're looking for something. Can I help? And I, I said, yes, I'm, I'm looking for my glasses. I, I can't see without them. They were somewhere. They must have gotten knocked off by the airbag. And so she started digging through my car with me. We, we couldn't find them together. And after a few minutes, she asked me the third question. She said, can I pray for you? And, and mind you, she didn't know that I was someone, I worked at church, I, I just got accepted to seminary, I was going to start that fall, I was called to be a pastor, I was a Christian, I didn't tell her any of those things, she didn't know that. I don't have a fish on the back of my car, because I don't want people to judge Jesus based on the way I drive sometimes, okay? <laughs> just, just, just to be honest, learned that from my father-in-law. And so there was nothing, I didn't say anything, but she asked to pray, and I said yes. And I don't remember the prayer at all. But I remember when we were done praying, I kid you not, we opened our eyes and right in front of us, we're praying right over the car, right in front of us were my glasses. And to this day, I, I don't know what happened there. I don't know if God answered the prayer and literally pulled them out and placed them before our eyes. I believe it's well within his ability to do that. I, I don't know if maybe just the anxiety of the moment caused you ever like lose your car keys and if you just take a deep breath you realize they were right under your nose the whole time? I don't know. I don't know what it was, but, but in any case, they were actually too broken. I had to get new ones anyway, and I saw that they're absolutely in the middle of this was a miracle. People ask me at times, they've said, was it an angel that showed up? Was this woman an angel? And, and the truth is, I don't know. But I do know that God used her to give me the greatest gift in the middle of that horrible, horrible moment where I almost lost my life and it had nothing to do with my glasses. The gift that this woman gave me was compassion. It was mercy. It was kindness. And it turns out that that's actually exactly what I needed in that particular moment. And that leads us into, this is our second to final week in a series we've been studying throughout the whole summer so far. Um, we're calling Be Still. And, and it's based on this call from God that we find throughout the Bible to be still. And the most popular one is in Psalm 46.10. And so I hope most of you have been around before you've had this memorized. But let's all say this one together. Be still and know that I am God. Let's try it again. Be still and know that I am God. If you've been with us before, the first week we studied the whole psalm and we learned that this is God speaking and these are his words, but they're spoken out at the chaos and the brokenness and the pain that robs us of our peace all around us. It's God saying, be still. And I think about that on Father's Day because I think before this series, even though I kind of knew that already because I've looked at these passages before, when I think of being still, I think of a father like me saying, sit still to his kids. 
And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my prayer life and my life with God, I don't think I'm any better at sitting still than my three-year-old is better at sitting still when I tell him he can't have popcorn until after the church service. And so if, if our hope to, to find the stillness that God has to bring is, is contingent on our own feeble ability to sit still, I'm afraid that we're never going to experience it. And so it's important to be reminded that this is not God telling you to sit still. This is God telling everything around us and within us that robs us of our peace to be still. That voice, that shame, that guilt, that storm on the sea of your life, it is Jesus calling out and saying, be still. And what we're going to learn today is that the way he does this is through his merciful, compassionate presence with us. And so we're getting into a reading today that comes from what's probably the saddest book in the entire Bible. It's the Old Testament book of Lamentations. And we don't know exactly who wrote this book, but it was written by the prophet, maybe it was written by the prophet Jeremiah, we're not sure. But it was written at the time of the Babylonian exile, and it was this large lament for the destruction of their beloved city, Jerusalem, and the temple within it. So some of you that are history buffs, okay? I know I got at least one person that likes history here, um, but there's several of you who are just going to have to kind of hang on for just a minute. But I want to give you a little bit of context of what we're about to read. The year is, is around 586 B.C., and there's this empire to the east of Jerusalem known as Babylon, mighty empire at this point. And the nation of Israel, God's people, they've inhabited the promised land just as God gave them they're called to be God's chosen people but over the generations over and over again they have gone through cycle after cycle of sin they have made mistakes individually but they've also made mistakes as a nation and they're beginning to suffer the consequences of those mistakes and and I think about this and I think we can understand this right like if, if we're talking about a holiday called Juneteenth we remember the, the the sins of our nation and the way in which it affected everybody and led to civil war uh, we can think about the way in which we don't get along right now in so many places in our society and the way that it's affecting us as a nation and so it's not unlike that for Israel and it got to such a point that they broke apart in civil war and they broke into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom got taken over by Assyria, which you can see up there as well. And then the southern kingdom, which included Jerusalem, eventually got taken over by Babylon. Now, at this point, uh, an effective way for an empire to come in and take over a nation or a city was to come in and completely destroy it and then take all of the people there and force them to live someplace place else, to be displaced. In this case, Babylon coming into Jerusalem and forcing everyone to move to Babylon. And all of it was strategic. If you jump ahead a little bit to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, same period, different, um, just a couple years later, you'll see that one of their tactics was they would then take people from this other group and they would raise up their best and brightest leaders to become leaders brainwashed by their own ways of thinking. 
And so you've got this, this Jew named Daniel, and he's got these three friends um, that, that, that are with him that we learn about as well. And, and the hope in all of it is that, that once they're brainwashed and they grow up and they're in positions of authority, that other people like them will follow in their ways. And it's this very evil systemic way of stripping them of themselves and even their core identity, even down to the point where they would be given Babylonian names. Like Daniel's three friends, you might remember his, their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So many of you know it. I told Alyssa when our fifth son was born, I was like, come on, the rest of the names are in English. Can we pick a Babylonian name for this one? Like, that's so much fun. She said, no, nobody will be able to spell it. So um, in all seriousness, though, like, like I, I don't mean to joke because this was bad. Like, can you imagine this happening to you? An enemy comes into your town, into your neighborhood, destroys all of the houses on your block. You're forced to then leave and live with your enemies. And then slowly, you lose the one thing you have left. You lose your very identity. That's what's happening in the book of Lamentations here. And we're only at the beginning of all of this. The car accident has just occurred. They're just now in a state of shock, feeling their extremities, wondering if they're going to be okay, looking out at everything that has happened and lamenting over what they had done to lead up to it. I just want to read a few verses of the first chapter here just to give you a flavor of the rest of the book. Jerusalem, once so full of people, now is deserted. She was once a great, great among the nations, but now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she's now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there's no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and have become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning. The crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate. I remember back in March, and I, I think I may have even mentioned it in church. In, many of you, I'm sure, saw it as well. Remember that, that children's hospital in Ukraine that was bombed by Russia? Do you remember that scene? I, I remember thinking, because my wife and I just had a baby back in September, and I could painfully imagine what that must have been like. To be in the middle, to have your, your, life in the, your wife in the middle of labor and to have the hospital infrastructure around you begin to fall down and have to be to have to leave if you survived the impact of the attack itself to be forced in the middle of all of that to leave it's not unlike what happened in Jerusalem they didn't wait for people to pack boxes they burned their houses down they didn't wait to have one final church service in the temple they burned it down they tore down everything and what we're about to find out here is that what they needed most from God in the middle of all of that was the same thing that I needed on the side of the road on the day of that accident they need help yes but more than that they needed to find stillness and peace that comes from the presence of a merciful God and so the first thing we learn about that is that mercy 
has to always begin with lament. Mercy begins with lament. I know it's hard sometimes even to define what is mercy. Mercy and compassion can sometimes be synonymous. In the moments of mercy and compassion, in the moments that we need mercy, we need to begin with an honest assessment of the situation where we need God's compassion in the middle of. And not just an assessment of what has happened, but the personal pain of what it is that we're going through. I think about the first guy that stopped in my car accident, right? He had an objective assessment of what happened. He saw that a car accident had occurred and he was able to define that there were two twisted pieces of metal on the side of the road that something had happened to. The problem was he had no sensitivity to the personal pain that that accident had caused. He thought that by asking questions and assigning blame that somehow that would be helpful. And what you'll find in Lamentations here is that this book is painfully aware, not just of the horrible circumstances, but even more than that, is painfully aware of how it feels. This description is of of a mother, a woman, sobbing in the night, alone, oppressed, looking out at this place that just before in her memory was filled with life and joy and worship, and now it's all gone. I, I remember a number of years ago, as if maybe the first, second year we lived in the house we're in now, the house a block behind us started on fire, big fire. It wasn't totaled, but it was close to being totaled. And I remember watching the flames coming out. And I know that for those of you that have experienced this, you don't need me to describe to you how this felt. I can only imagine how it felt for those who lived in that house. They were okay, but even though they were physically okay, it's not just that the house was burning, right? But the pain behind it is watching your personal memories and your meaning and your potential all go up in flames. It was tragic to watch as a neighbor. I can't even imagine for the people that live there that I didn't already know. And so I look at Lamentations, and it's this long poetic lament. And I'm not going to bore you through all of it. I don't want to depress you by just reading 95% of it, which is horrible and sad. I want to take us to our reading today in chapter 3, where it takes this ever-so-brief twist toward hope. Look at this. Verse 19. The author says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Afflicted, confused, bitter, depressed. This is how the situation feels. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. And here's the second part. We learn that while mercy begins with lament, it always ends with hope. Mercy begins with lament, but it ends With hope. The author calls out the reality of what is, but then in this beautiful twist toward hope, he focuses his lament by calling to mind the character of God 
Because of God's great love, he says, as much as everything, all of the evidence suggests otherwise, I know I will not be consumed by this storm. That while our walls may fall, his compassion will never fail. You might know this verse by another translation. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness. And this word in Hebrew doesn't just get translated as mercy or compassion, but it's also very closely related to another Hebrew word for womb. Womb, the womb of a mother. And that is a beautiful, beautiful image. As if the language itself is trying to say to us that in the depths of the deepest of our despair and our affliction and our bitterness and our wandering, and our depression, our hope is in a God that is so great that not only will those moments not consume us, but God's love is so great that it is precisely in those moments that he is birthing in and through and around us new mercies every single day. And I don't even need to preach this to you because it gets preached to you by creation itself. Is that not the cycle of the seasons? That as the death of fall and winter come, it makes way for spring. As the fertilizer of things that have died is laid down on the fields, it makes way for new life to grow. The same is true for the mercy of God in your life and mine. And the reason why is because it's who God is. Look at what the psalmist writes. He says, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but say this part with me. Joy comes in the morning. Our pain is real. If you hear a gospel that does not own the realness of your pain, it is not the full gospel. Our pain is real. That is why we lament. But the gospel of Jesus Christ reminds us that it is also always temporary, which is why we always have hope. Because, see, there's a difference between our situation and the substance of who we are. And here's what I mean. How often do where you find yourself this moment, this decision you made, this accident you got yourself into, whatever it might be, how often do we allow those things to define who we are? You are not those things. But even more importantly than that, God is not defined by those things. God is grieved by our pain. God laments over and over again throughout the Old Testament as he watches his people fall in in lack of being faithful to him and then end up falling into being victims of their own mistakes and hurt by others. God even gets angry. But not because God is anger, but because that is an expression of love. When you love a child and that child is not flourishing and there is something getting in the way, it is the loving thing that will occur that you will get angry. It's because he loves us. And knowing that God loves us was enough for those At this time in 586 B.C., watching their city burn to know that while this is hard, 
I know that this is not forever because God loves us and he will prevail. And I say that to you because I know there's at least one person here today who needed to hear that this morning. There's one person here who needs to know in the depth of whatever you're facing right now that God is not finished yet. That pain is real, but mercy tells us that it is hope that will prevail. Lament is not a language you're going to use in heaven. (laughs) Because there isn't going to be anything anymore to lament about. God is not done yet. And so maybe you're going through something today. And maybe you've got the lament thing down pat. You're, you're oh, my health, my relationship, my boss, I, my gas prices. I, I, was, I drove down to Illinois for a graduation party yesterday. I told my wife, I said, I thought it went 50 cents higher every 10 miles I got into Illinois. Closer I got to Chicago, it just went up and up and up, right? We're lamenting about everything. This actually affects us in real ways. It's all affecting us. And we complain and we lament. And I'm telling you, that is good. Lament all you want, but don't stop. You've got to continue through it until you end with hope. Because God is a God of hope. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of compassion. It's who he is. This marked the entire ministry of Jesus' life. Next week, we're going to study Matthew 9 and, and, and how Jesus performed miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching to get to the deeper purpose of why we're here. And it says this in Matthew 9.35, as he went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This is why he did what he did. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He cared. He came and he helped because he cared. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so are we when we lament and complain without hope. Friends, we live in a world with plenty of lamenting. We don't need to read a book in the Bible to know how to lament. What the world needs from you and from me is hope. Jesus came to bring hope. And he brought hope because he cares. Ephesians 2.4, Paul says this. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by his grace you have been saved. 1 Peter 5 says this, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for, say it with me, he cares for you. If I can leave you with anything today, forget about my car accident. Forget about everything that I've said so far up to this point. Do not forget on Father's Day 2022, your heavenly Father cares for you. But I've done something wrong, but he cares for you. But I've made mistakes, but he cares for you. It doesn't matter. God cares. He cares about your situation. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your fears. He cares about your mistakes. And so many times people say, well, but my mistakes aren't as big as others. My hurts aren't as big as others. Well, guess what? I'm a father, okay? When my three-year-old falls down and skins his knee, I don't care. I care about him. I know there's people suffering more than that. But in his moment, because I am his father, I care. God is your father in heaven and with you right now. He cares 
for you. He is not just in some command center in the sky controlling the world. He is controlling the world from right next to you and inside of you because he cares. Just like the woman that showed up for me when I got into that car accident, her caring brought the stillness and peace of God that I didn't even know in that moment that I needed. Jesus came down to do the same thing for you and me. He was born out of the compassion of a heavenly father that could not bear to look down and watch his children suffer alone. And so he came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again. And so let's bring our cares before a God who cares for us. Would you join me right now as we pray? Jesus, I thank and praise you that you are a God who is close to us, that you have taught us that through your sacrifice we can come before our Father in heaven and, and approach him as Abba, Father, Daddy, that, 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 that no matter how well our earthly fathers and father-like figures have reflected the love of our heavenly Father, you are God, you love us the most. And you will never leave and forsake us because you love us. Because you care, you are with us. And as Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 2, it is your kindness that should lead us to repentance. Help your kindness, God, to, to be so infused in us that we would feel safe to come before you to admit in brutal honesty the pains of our lives, whether they're pains from shame and guilt from the things that we've done or whether they're the pains that have come upon us by the brokenness of the sinful fallen world. Help us to be completely honest with you. Help us to bring those things before you. Even right now as we watch this video and as we listen to these words, Would you bring to mind the things in which we need your help within and help us to hear that not only are you with us to tangibly help us through the seasons of life we face, but that you are with us right now, sitting alongside us because you care. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.